Is everybody cool enough? Probably not. Hey, you know, we can open a window if you want, but the mosquitoes might come in, so, you know, I'll leave that to your discretion. Pardon me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not often that I begin a sermon by quoting Mick Jagger. I've done it a few times. Um, you guys know who Mick Jagger is, right? Okay, he's a Rolling Stone. Uh, he's the man in the Rolling Stone band. Uh, but he nailed it, you know. He, he, he really nailed the unvarnished truth about uh, the heart of fallen man. Mick Jagger says, I can't get no... I can't get no satisfaction. Is that not right? Is that not right? Um, you wouldn't expect to hear Mick say something like that. I mean, here's a guy that has all the resources in the world. He has all the money in the world, all the time in the world. Uh, he, he's the quintessential hedonist. Now, you know what a hedonist is, right? It's one who gives himself wholly over to the pursuit of pleasure. That's what they do. I mean, this guy's a rock star, so he has no limitations. Uh, he can pursue his hedonism unimpaired. Uh, so you, you wouldn't think you would hear a rock star say something like this. The famous playwright, Oscar Wilde, he was a famous playwright and libertine, if you know what that is. A libertine is someone who throws off all sexual constraint. But Oscar Wilde was a famous playwright and, and libertine, and uh, he kind of expanded on Mick's comment about satisfaction in the human heart. He said, uh, Oscar Wilde said, there are two tragedies in life. Does anybody know this quote? It's a great quote. You need to know this quote. He said, there are two tragedies in life. Not getting what you want is the first one. Guess what the second one is? Getting it. You understand? You understand what these men are talking about on a human level? There's nothing on this planet that can satisfy the heart of man. Nothing on this planet. God tells us why this is true. Ecclesiastes 3.11 God says, I have put eternity. I have put eternity in the heart of man. God designed and wired and created us with eternal and infinite desire. That's how God made us. He's given us a heart that can never be satisfied with anything less than what? Himself. And that's what men do, spend their whole lives trying to fill up that God-sized hole in their heart only to find out that it's impossible. It can't be done. You can't find any satisfaction on this planet. It's nowhere to be found. But Oscar Wilde, he hasn't revealed two tragedies, really only one. Uh, it's not a tra the, the tragedy is not in not getting what you want or in getting what you want. The tragedy that, that Oscar Wilde is really articulating for most of mankind or all of mankind is what we want. That's where the problem is. It's not that God has, it's not that God has filled us with desire that's the problem. The problem is how we, what we pursue to satisfy that desire. That is the problem of fallen mankind. Mick says he can't get any satisfaction. He's looking in the wrong place. And Oscar Wilde says he can't satisfy his desires. He's looking in the wrong places. God says it like this through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 2. I'm sure you know it. God says, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? 
and your wages for what does not satisfy. He said effectively the same thing through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.13, Why do you forsake me, the fountain of living waters, and drink from broken cisterns that can hold no water? God says, why do you drink from, from dry wells? Why do you drink from wells that cannot quench your thirst? Why do you spend your, your resources on bread that will not satisfy you? It's the question of God through His prophets. And Mick and Oscar, they, they epitomize the human race. <laughs> they spend their money on that which is not bread. And they spend their whole lives drinking from dry wells that qu cannot quench their thirst. It's the insanity of sin, as A.W. Tozer calls it. He says sin, when you boil it all down, when you boil it all down, he says it's insanity. God has offered Himself to His creatures and His creatures have said, no, I want something else. It's insanity. It's insanity. I like the way Tozer talks about that. Jesus said, I am what? The bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus is Mick's answer. Jesus is Oscar's answer, right? Jesus said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is always the answer. I've told you this a million times. It doesn't matter what the question is. Jesus Christ is your answer. Always. He's never not your answer. So Jesus Christ is the answer to Mick's dilemma and Oscar's dilemma. Beloved, God created us with infinite desire. And God gives that which satisfies that infinite desire. He freely gives. He freely gives Himself. That's what God has done in our beautiful Gospel. Now it's a shock to some people when I say this and they hear me say it for the first time. But you know that God has created you to lust, right? You know this. You've been created to lust. Is that a shock to any of you? <laughs> hey, lust is a perfectly good word. It's just almost always used in a negative context. But what does the word lust mean? It just means to, to uh, have an overwhelming desire for, to yearn for, to crave for, to ache for, to itch for. God created us like God created us to lust. Can I say it like that? And the psalmists express this perfectly. Have you read the psalms? The psalmists express this perfectly. Listen to Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63.1, O God, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. Psalm 73.25, Besides Thee, O Lord, I desire nothing on the earth. Psalm 143.6, My soul longs for Thee as a parched land. The tragedy of fallen man is not in not getting what he wants. Or in getting what he wants, the tragedy is that he has substituted God for some lesser thing. He was designed to desire God. To, can I say, have a holy lust after God. The problem with man is his misplaced lusts. All the lusts that, 
that man uses that man uses to pursue sin was meant to be directed to God. Passion and desire that was meant to be directed to God. I love John Piper's definition of sin. Sin is the suicidal exchange of the glory of God for broken cisterns of created things. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. The suicidal, did you note? The suicidal exchange of the glory of God for temporal things, for worldly things. Piper says... This exchange mankind has made is a great insult to God. Have you ever thought about it? I mentioned it just a moment ago. Can you, can you imagine the insult this is to God? He offers Himself freely to His creatures. And His creatures say, No, I think I want this little temporal thing over here more. I'm going to set my affections on that. I'm going to give myself to that. I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to find my satisfaction in that. I'm going to find my security in that. I'm going to love that with all my life. I think Piper's right. This is a great, unspeakable insult to the living Creator God that men would be so arrogant and, shall I say, so stupid as to pursue the created thing as opposed to pursuing the Creator. God designed man to preeminently lust for Him. A holy lust. A holy desire for the Creator. And this is one thing that I think James is warning us about in our text tonight. He's saying man's, many of man's problems, if not all of them, flow out of this uh, frustrated lust within our hearts. They can never find satisfaction apart from Christ. It's impossible. It can't happen. It'll never happen. And I think this is one thing James is saying to us. He's saying man has been an unfaithful creature. He has been a spiritual adulterer is what we're going to see in the text. Man has made himself a friend of the world and thereby has made himself an enemy of God. That's what James is going to say to us tonight. And James has been saying from the very beginning of his epistle that real Christians are different. We are different. We are a peculiar people. Right? I have a whole, great, I have a whole sermon on being peculiar. It's great. I love it. I'll preach it to you sometime. But we're, we're a peculiar people. We're not like the world. We don't befriend the world. We don't lust after the things of the world. God has changed our hearts. He's born us again. We're born from above. We're pursuing the living God. You remember some of the things he said to us in his book. He said, man, you can see it in a Christian's life. We don't respond to trials and temptations like the world does. We're different. We don't receive and obey the, the Word of God like the rest of hu humankind does. We're different. We uh, don't deal with others the way that most of mankind does. We're different in the way we deal with others, with impartiality. We guard our tongues. We speak differently than mankind does at large. And we employ the wisdom of God in our lives. And remember the word I used two weeks ago? And it is, anybody remember? Conspicuous. James has been saying from chapter 1, verse 1, God's people are conspicuous. God means for you to be a conspicuous Christian. James says you can tell a Christian they're different. They're not like the world. They don't love the world. They're headed to the celestial city. And they live like it. They're aliens and exiles 
upon the earth. It's the whole Sarah Groves thing. I know I'm, I'm hung up on that song, but I, I love that song. She says, man, if it's real, it's just all going to spill out in your life. If this whole Jesus thing is real, if this born again thing is real, if this born from above thing is real, if it's really happened, it's going to break wide open, she says, and it's going to spill out in your life. So let me ask you, Christian, is that how it is in your life? Is that, is that changed heart spilling out in your life? Can the world tell you that, can the world tell that you belong to, to, to God and you don't belong to them? Can the world tell? God means for the world to be able to tell that we are His people. And I just want to remind you in passing, I'm going to get to the text in a minute, <laughs> I think. And I just want to uh, remind you in passing that, that James is the first pastor of the first church in the Christian era. He was the first, uh, we could say, senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And we learned from chapter 1 of James that he's writing to his dispersed flock. And I love that the first pastor of the first church in his first letter to his first flock... He's making it clear what Christianity is supposed to look like. These are not form, uh, warm, fuzzy sermons about you're okay, I'm okay, and, and yeah, I hope it gets good in your life and maybe we can make it one more week. It's not about that. James is saying Jesus has saved you to live a radical life, an extraordinary life, a life that men can see you belong to the living God. That's what James has been saying from the very beginning. We are a peculiar people. We are a conspicuous people. We don't live like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. I'm not saying that we do it perfectly. But this is what God is calling it to. And I, calling us to, and I love that James is exhorting his people. He's exhorting his people. James knows what every pastor knows. He knows that there are tares among the wheat. He knows that. He knows there are men and women in his congregation that are only playing religion with God. And he knows that, hey, you can tell from the way he writes. He's writing to the believer and exhorting them to live their faith huge. But he's also writing to the unbeliever who's hearing him and exhorting him to come to Christ and to examine his life. Are the things that I'm saying about real Christianity true in your life? And every real pastor, every true pastor knows this. There are always tares among the wheat. It's never been different than that. It's been like that from the first century on. And so James is speaking to both believer and unbeliever. And I think it's important that we understand that. Two weeks ago, as we finished chapter 3, James was exhorting his flock to walk in the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God. Remember we said the wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 Remember the last thing James said to us in James chapter 3. You can go look. Verse 18. He said, those who walk in the wisdom that comes down from God, what do they do? They walk in peace. You remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, anybody remember? The sons of God. And so James has just exhorted us to walk in peace. And then he gets into the whole thing about where all this conflict comes from in the church and in the world at large. And so he's going to diagnose that for us, where all this conflict comes from. Those who walk in peace walk in the wisdom of God. But then James says, chapter 4, verse 1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? 
You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James says, what is the source of all these conflicts and quarrels? What is it? It's the heart. It's the human heart. It's the human heart. And all of those conflicts are originating within the heart. And they're flowing through the members. He says the members, he's talking about the members of your body. It's flowing through our body. I like the, the International Standard Version translation. Listen to what it says. Where do those fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your selfish desires that are at war in your bodies. If you're a Christian, you understand about this war. If you're not a Christian, you don't really probably have a war going on. But if you're a Christian, you understand about this war. Paul uses the same imagery in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about doing battle with his sin nature. Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. I joyfully concur with the law of God, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. Listen to how the message paraphrases that Romans 7 passage. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Anybody relate? I truly delight in God's commandments, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect, take charge. I think if you're a Christian, you can probably relate to that battle we all fight with our indwelling sin nature. James is saying this is, this is true of you and me, the conflicts that we have. In our, in our personal lives, uh, in our marriages, uh, with our children, uh, in government, uh, in politics, in the church, internationally, all conflicts have one source. It's the frustrated lust that's flowing out of the heart of man. All conflicts have one source. It's the frustrated lust within the heart of man. Is that not true? Is that, not, is that not why every corner of the world is full to the brim of conflict? Because every heart is full of unsatisfied lust. James talked, James talked to us about this in James chapter 3.16. You may remember. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is every evil thing. Every evil thing. And we talked about it two weeks ago, the origin of sin. The closest the Bible comes to telling us the origin of sin is, is the fall of Satan. And you remember why Satan fell. He, he thought it should be all about him, right? He thought it should be all about him. <laughs> and uh, boy, we're, uh, we follow that same model. Fallen humanity follows that same model. We think it should be all about us. This is where conflict comes from, James says. It flows out of our own lust. He says, you lust and you do not have. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrels. One of my FAQs as a pastor frequently asked questions is, why is the world so screwed up? It's a very easy answer. Because you are. And because I am. And because every human being walking the planet is, 
That's why the world is so messed up. It's our fallen hearts lusting after something other than God and being frustrated, being frustrated in that lust. These eternal lusts will always manifest themselves externally. These eternal lusts that James are, are talking about will always manifest themselves externally. That's one of the points I think that he's making to us. And, and he says, hey, you don't get what you want, so you commit murder. Man, that's, a, that's, that's just, what? You know, he's talking to his congregation, even the unregenerate ones. Murder? But I have no doubt that, that the words of his half-brother are ringing in his ear. Now, who are, who's the half-brother of James? Jesus Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember how Jesus uh, sort of delineated the dynamics of murder for us. You remember what He said in Matthew 5, 22 He says, You've heard it said that you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. And, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, which means empty-headed, shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus equates heart anger directed at a brother to murder. Do you get the point? I don't think, I don't, James is not engaging in hyperbole here. He says when we are enraged at our brother, he says we are guilty of murder. And it's flowing, it's flowing out of that frustrated lust that is in our hearts. I, look at, I, like, I like the verse here. I mean, at the very end of verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now we're back to the Mick and, and uh, Oscar phenomenon here. Men do not have that which satisfies because they will not go to God. Right? They will not. I like what... Uh, A.W. Pink says about uh, what he calls fallen man. He calls him an amateur sovereign. You know, man has declared his independence from God. He'll not, you know, the, the fool in his heart has said, I'll have no God. Or the fool, actually the text says, there is no God. Actually the text the, in the Hebrew it is, the fool has said, I'll have no God over me. This is what mankind has said. I'll have no God, on, God, God over me. It, man is loath to go to God because he has set himself up as an amateur sovereign. I like how Paul says it in Romans chapter 1, even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to God, but became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping and serving the Creator rather than the created. Man is loath to ask God. Fallen man is loath to ask God. And, and James says, you do not have that which satisfies because you will not humble yourself before your Creator. This is what James, I believe, is saying to us here. And I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. I think it's in the screw tape letters. <laughs> C.S. Lewis says, it doesn't matter if you're lusting after a seat in Parliament or if you're lusting after a bottle of whiskey. It doesn't matter. Any lust will work. Any lust, will, any lust that will get you off of God will work. 
I think that was actually advice from the senior demon uh, screw tape to his nephew demon Wormwood. Any lust will work. Any lust will work to get you off God and on to lesser things. James is saying to all who have ears to hear, you do not have that which satisfies because you will not humble yourself and go to your Creator God. If there is dissatisfaction in your heart, probably need some knee time. <laughs> probably need some knee time. You need to go talk to your father about it. If you have uh, chronic dissatisfaction, then I think you have a problem with God and you do need to do some knee time. You need to go talk to your, your father you need to go talk to your father. You remember what James said in James 1.17? This is what the unbeliever doesn't believe. Remember what he said? Every good thing and perfect gift is from God. It comes from God. It's from God. If your heart is not satisfied, go to your God. Go to your Creator. Go to your Father. Do some need time with the Lord. He freely gives to those who ask. Verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James says these internal lusts even pollute our prayers. And I want you to remember, he's talking to believers He's also talking to unbelievers. But he says, for the believer, even uh, these eternal lusts pollute our prayers. It reminds me of this, this common thing about prayer that you find in so many churches these days. Uh, and it's really, it's not a biblical model of prayer at all. But it's that God is my genie in the bottle. He's my Santa Claus in the sky. And all I need to do is rub him just right. If I can just say it right, if I can do it right, if I can pray long enough, if I can, whatever. If you can get the formula right, then God's obligated to answer your prayer exactly like you prayed it. I mean, this is just garbage. This is just garbage that men stand in pulpits and preach. This whole name it and claim it junk. I just, God is just gracious that he doesn't just, boom, lightning strike. This whole name it and claim it thing. This whole health, wealth, and prosperity junk. But what I want to say to you, this can also apply to genuine believers because we can at times certainly uh, not be praying in the Spirit of God as, as John told us in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 14 that we are not praying in accordance with the will of God. If we are praying in accordance with the will of God, we shall have what we have asked of Him. So there's no question that this can apply to believers as well. Look at verses 4 through 6. James says, man, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that, that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is unambiguous here. 
And James knows he's talking to believers, he's talking to the wheat, and he's talking to the tares. And every time the gospel's preached in a church, uh, it's falling on the ears of the wheat and the ears of the tares. Those who are merely pr- playing religion with God, he knows that. And he's talking to those who have made a profession of faith in Christ, who've participated in the ordinances, who regularly attend church, who can talk the talk, but at the core of it, they love the world more than they love Jesus Christ. And this is always the demarcation. I've told you this before. My daughter asked me one time, Dad, how do I tell someone, how do I assure someone they're a Christian? I said, well, that's not your job. It's never your job, and I'll say it to you, it's never your job to assure anyone they're a Christian. That is not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That is the Holy Spirit's job through the Word of God. We, I, I'm not qualified to give assurance, but she said, Dad, what can I say to him? I say, it's easy. Man, I could give you 15 doctrinal reasons, but let me tell you at the very bottom of it, what, what that person will find is that they love Jesus. That's how you know you're an alien. Like Spurgeon says, man. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon says, we've been spoiled to this world. We don't love it anymore. We love Jesus Christ. Because if we love the world, do you see what James is saying to us? Do you see what God's Word says to us? If we love the world, we are at enmity with God. We have become His enemy. If we are friends with the world, it is hostility toward God. Listen to what God says in Romans 8, 5-8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Because the mind set on the flesh is what? Hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God is telling us if we love the world, we have made ourselves His enemy. We have made ourselves His enemy. And as as is the case with all of the Word of God, (laughs) there's no middle ground here. There's no gray area here. There's no lukewarm religious place to be here. You are either the friend of God or you are the enemy of God. There's no middle place with God. You are either His friend, meaning you are in Christ Jesus, or you are His enemy, meaning you are outside Christ Jesus. You have rejected Christ Jesus. That's the only two options that Scripture gives. There are no more. There is no no middle place to be. There is no great place to be. It's all black and white. And I love this friendship thing. We, we, we heard that first song. I love this friendship thing. You know, again, in the Old Testament, Moses and, and, and Abraham. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, all believers, all true believers, all, all the born again are His friends. And you remember what Jesus said? You know how you can tell a friend of Jesus? You remember what Jesus said in that text in John 14? You remember what He said? There's one way you can always tell my friend, Jesus says. Anybody remember? They do what I say. My friends, they do what I say. 
And again, I'm not preaching sinless perfection here. But that will be, that will be the focus and thrust and motivation of your life, doing the Word of God. We've already seen it in James. James chapter 1, verse 22. We are doers of the Word. But those who are the friends of the world do not do the Word. They may hear it and they may talk about it, but they'll never do it because their heart is not in it. Their heart is not in it. They are still lovers of the world. And let me just take a moment, and I'm, I'm almost done. I know it's hot in here, and I appreciate your patience. Um, let me just take a moment and share with you what God says about those who choose to be His enemies. Uh, there are many, many passages I could have gone to in the Bible on this, but I, I'm just going to share one with you for the sake of time. Nahum 1, 2 through 6, and I'm just going to give you a composite of, of 2 through 6 there in Nahum, cha- Nahum chapter 1. Listen to what God says. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. When was the last time you heard that from a pulpit? Probably been a while. May have been a while. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. This is what God says. It's not what Jim says. This is what God says. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is take serious what God says. Are you His friend or are you His enemy? And if you are His enemy, His wrath will be poured out. Well, Jim, that's old-fashioned gospel. We don't really want to hear that anymore in the modern church. We're not paying you to tell us this. Friends, you know, this... uh, this book is, is about, uh, <laughs> it's about eternity. And every time a man presumes to preach from this, it's, it's, it, everything, everything, uh, everything's at stake forever. Every, every time. And I know in most places, in many, many churches, they won't tolerate hearing all of the Word of God when it comes to His wrath. But this is what God says. Listen to what He says. The Lord is slow to anger. We know that. He's long-suffering. Praise God. He's been long-suffering with every one of us. And He's great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished who can stand before His indignation, who can endure the burning of His anger. His wrath is poured out like fire. So friends, I'm just going to give an invitation tonight. If if your heart still belongs to the world, I'm going to call you to repent and believe in Christ. I'm going to call you to come to Him tonight. Because you are making yourself consciously making yourself an enemy of God, and you are in grave peril. Your soul is in grave peril. You do not have to remain the enemy of God. You simply need to come to Christ. Let me just cover verse 5 real quick. There's a lot of, there's a lot of legitimate disagreement in verse 5. Conservative scholars and theologians disagree on this verse. It's very, very hard to translate. It's translated differently in major English uh, translations. But I believe the, King, the old King James gets it right. I believe that. I'm not dogmatic about it. But I believe the old King James, if you read the old King James, it does not capitalize the word spirit. I don't think it should be capitalized. You know, those of you who've studied your Greek, you realize that there are no capitals letters in in the Greek transcript. This is an assumption that's being made here. But the old King James reads like this, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth... Boy, that's hard to say. Lusteth to envy. 
Simply what, what, uh, what James is saying is, he, he's saying that Scripture is in agreement. That the lust is coming out of the heart of man. The lust is coming out of the heart of man. The, spirit, the, the fallen spirit and the fallen heart of man, the lust is coming out of. Now, there are many who disagree with that. Uh, but in my mind, that follows the context perfectly. That's what James is saying. He's talking about the lust that comes out of our hearts. So I think the context fits. And I think the King, old King James got it right. And then verse 6, look at that. But God's grace is what? It's greater. Friends, it's greater than all your sin. And look what it says. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love what Paul tells the believer in Romans chapter 8. He says, man, God's for you. He says, God's for us. And if God's for us, what does he say? Who could ever be against us, right? But it's almost in effect like James is saying, it's almost in effect like James is saying to the unbeliever, if God is against you, who can be for you? You, if, you are, if you consciously continue to, be, to make yourself a friend of the world, you have made yourself an enemy of God. And who can stand? As the prophet said, who can stand before His indignation? Certainly not you. Friends, our Gospel is so urgent, we need to flee to the cross. We need to flee to Jesus Christ. Oh, and it is... Oh. Friends, this is this. Everything forever is at stake when the gospel is preached. So Mick Jagger and Oscar Wilde have given up, given us a great gift of insight. They have accurately articulated the state of man's heart apart from Jesus Christ. It is consummate dissatisfaction. And guess what else it'll be? Eternal dissatisfaction. eternal dissatisfaction in hell for all of those who choose friendship with the world. The psalmists are right and I want to exhort you. I want to exhort you to, uh, to jump on board with the psalmist here. Their, their satisfaction is in the eternal one. Their lust is being, is being expended on God. It's being expended on the Creator. They are lusting for the unspeakably beautiful and compelling living God. And that's what I want to leave you with tonight. I want to exhort you to direct your lusts toward God. And when those, those worldly lusts well up in you, and they will well up in you, they welled up into the, in the Apostle Paul, and Paul talks quite, quite frankly about that in Romans chapter 7. You need to go to God with that. And you need to pursue God with a holy lust. Jesus Christ said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You that we can only misunderstand it if we desire to misunderstand it. It's very, very clear. 
you have invited us to be your friends. And you have warned us about the consequences of being your enemy. Thank you, Father. That you just simply give us the truth. No man will be able to stand before you and say, I didn't understand. I didn't know. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this great exhortation to deal with the lusts in our hearts. And Father, to deal with the conflict that flows out of those lusts. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father, to deal with those lusts. That we may not be in conflict with those around us. That we could be men of peace, sons of God, as Jesus says. Lord God, thank You for this, this strong word. Again, for this exhortation and this warning. Thank You, Father. Thank You for our great salvation in Jesus. In His name, Amen. Uh, let's stand together. And uh, if they, I just want to say to you, if, you've, if God's Word has convicted you, and uh, you know, if you've been playing religion with God and you're not really sure if you belong to Him, and your heart's divided between the world and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you want to talk about it, feel, feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to sit down with you, pray with you, go through the Scriptures with you. It's, uh, you shouldn't leave that undone. You should not leave that undone. Let's close with uh, ancient words. You guys help me out? Just the chorus. Oh, it's on the sheet, right? Yeah. All right. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing. God bless. Have a great week.